Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, so di corrupt good talk, ciao, we viva, cat bang, half a day, jai jinendra, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace how, go vegan, from the don't say left because the left has gone far right. So I'm going to say from the West Coast of the unlabeled genetically mutated McNugget pharmaceutical vivisection prison killitary industrial corpor nation in the cheese covered post constitutional bankster bankrupt corruptocracy, democracy, criminocracy of the United States of Listeria, food born in the NSA, NRA, uh, USA. Home of Uncle Salmonella, where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts, and the Wall Street backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And here we are, your uh, weekly escape to the only sane place remaining on the planet um, where it's not normal to eat decomposing bodies, where it's not normal to eat children or drink blood. And uh, no, I'm, I'm not talking about Pizzagate or uh, Pedogate, Pedogate. Uh, I'm talking about McDonald's um, or any of the other axes of evil feeding that, that cult appetite for flesh and blood, for, for fecal sprinkled pathogen-laden cadaver. Um, and you get it directly from, you know, McDevil's Murder King, Wendy's, Kills Jr., Jack the Ripper in a Box, Taco Hell, Dead Lobster, or, or any of those uh, slash food uh, restaurants. Uh, and those other... I don't, I don't even know the names. I mean... Uh, wasn't really uh, paying attention to the craze when when wings became popular food, right? So you have all these all these wings places, right? Yeah, we're we're surrounded by the cult of the wing eaters, ah, uh, body snatchers, ah, snatching all types of bodies, all body parts, walking graveyards. Is this the Halloween show already? Uh, munching on cuts of killed animals. Huh? This is, so so how how sane has the world been? I mean, we we think it's gone more insane lately, but how sane has it really been? Considering, um, and you know, that's just you know what's on what's on what's on your plate, right? Just the 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 insanity of. Uh, well, you are what you eat, and then it just branches out from there. Uh, how it has become normal to swallow somebody's body, right? How, how weird, you know? I mean, uh, uh, yesterday at the, at the checkout line at the uh, you know, real-life horror movie known as uh, my local supermarket, um, a woman asked the, uh, you know, that her package uh, of chicken be wrapped in, in a separate bag so it wouldn't contaminate the uh, the other food she bought now um, I don't know she 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 has she has something there you know that uh, uh, 
I mean, she's wrapping it separately for fear of contamination, and yet she's still willing to put it in her mouth, to have it pass through her lips and, and through her body. Maybe it'll pass through her body. Or maybe it gets stopped along the way, you know. Um, anyway, I don't know. Is there something normal about eating food that comes with a warning label on it, you know, that uh, where it's uh, it's not supposed to come in contact with the kitchen counter or, or a knife, your utensils, they, you know, they have to be decontaminated immediately. I mean, do, do you have to wear a hazmat suit to, you know, for, for this diet of death? Ah. Uh, I don't know. And uh, I really don't know. It's just so hard sometimes living amongst the normal insanity. What's acceptable insanity, huh? I mean, adult humans walking around with, you know, big gallon jugs of uh, blood and pus, uh, maybe mixed in with some tuberculosis, maybe some leukemia, um, and that's that. Uh, that's the food intended for baby cows, you know, which really can't be rationalized as a human food. I mean, really, yeah. Uh, we're not thinking. We're not thinking. We're not. Um, and uh, yeah, and and the vegans are the strange ones, right? Yeah, I I just had an apple before coming on the air today. Ooh, strange, strange, strange foods that the vegans eat, huh? I don't know. What can I tell you? What they say? What can I tell you, my love girl? So, um, what, what's so? What's the one story that gets less attention? in the media than Pizzagate or Pedogate, uh, which, I mean, if you haven't been following, uh, seems to indicate that, you know, Satan-worshipping uh, pedophile cannibals are in the highest, uh, most powerful positions in society, <laughs> uh, which does seem to explain the, the, the type of person that can, uh, you know, drop thousands and thousands of bombs and kill millions and millions of people. There had to be a, a good explanation, right? So th th this seems to, to work for me. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Pizzagate, uh, is the controversy that has, uh, well, it's arisen from the leaked content of uh, John Podesta emails, uh, emails leaked by WikiLeaks, John Podesta, the chairperson of Hillary Clinton's campaign and advisor to Obama and uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, hmm. So uh, I guess people are allowed to have strange hobbies, right? Or Freedom of religion, worship whom or what you like. Um, so all of that seems as good as explanation as any to me. Um, and uh, also you, you get really no media coverage of this. Uh, it's like a big media cover-up. Uh, they, they're labeling it all fake news. And uh, if it is ever mentioned, it's ridiculed. But mainly, it's a media blackout because who knows who is in what high positions in the media also. Um, so anyway, the story that gets even less coverage than Pizzagate uh i th i think i should call it uh, climate change gate um it's animal agriculture gate it's it's meat dairy fish and, and egg gate 
animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, gate, uh, responsible for at least 51% of human-generated greenhouse gas emissions, gate, um, and the only solution, gate, is uh, 50 to 85% of people currently stuffing animal cadavers and secretions and excretions into their mouths have to go vegan by 2020, gate, um, or else it's too late, gate. Um, too, too much use of gate here. I have all sorts of, yeah, all, all, all sorts of uh, controversy, all sorts of, of gate of which to speak. Um, I know, but you got you got used to it from Watergate, so that's pretty much where it belongs, right? It's uh, it's only it's only uh, brought out for special occasions, you know, uh, Watergate, Pizzagate. Um, do you know? Uh, well, you know, why why should why should they have their own Watergate also? You know, a vegan requires ten thousand gallons of water to grow his or her food in a year. Uh, that's a vegan requires ten thousand gallons to grow his or her food in a year, and a non-vegan squanders three hundred twenty thousand gallons to grow his or her food in a year. Well, maybe the the non-vegan squanders three hundred ten thousand gallons because uh, you know had that person been a vegan, uh, he or she would have needed. 10,000 gallons, but instead squandered an extra 310,000 gallons of water, uh, you know, so that uh, he or she could eat, eat flesh and secretions and uh, destroy the planet and develop heart disease and cancer and stroke and diabetes. Um, so anyway, how's that for an updated water gate there, huh? 10,000 gallons of water needed by a vegan in a year, 320,000 gallons needed by a non-vegan, meaning 32 vegans can be fed to one non-vegan. And uh, how can it be at all responsible to uh, be a non-vegan in a world of uh, shrinking resources and... If we look at live science, I'm looking at live science. There is an article, uh, Climate Change is Transforming the World's Food Supply. So, And remember, climate change, uh, according to the world's top climate specialists, meaning Dr. Robert Goodland and Jeffrey Anhang at the World Bank, um, telling us that animal agriculture is responsible for at least 51% of all greenhouse gas emissions. And those same climate specialists tell us that uh, only going vegan is the solution. So uh, we really should talk about, uh, you know, the, the non-vegans climate change. Uh, what, so anyway, so, so the article here is climate change is transforming the world's food supply. And this is an article uh, from uh, Sarah G. Miller. And so she says, quote, climate change is poised to affect the world food supply in three key ways, experts say. There will be impacts on the quantity, quality, and location of the food we produce, said Dr. Sam Myers, a medical doctor and senior research scientist studying environmental health at the Harvard 
T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Continuing the, his quote, uh, we've never needed to increase food production more rapidly than we do today to keep up with global demand. So how can we possibly uh, not be vegan if we need to increase food supply, spread the wealth, share, uh, you know, share the bounty? Uh, so it says here, but at the very same time, we're fundamentally transforming the biological underpinnings of how we produce food, he said. Um, researchers studying climate change are looking at how the biological and physical changes happening on Earth due to climate change will transform food production, Myers said at a talk on February 16th uh, to the Climate and Health Meeting, a gathering of experts from public health organizations, universities, and advocacy groups that focused on the health impacts of climate change. And I will bet you anything that there was nobody there talking about what I was just saying regarding animal agriculture and our need to be vegan. Because uh, why would there be, right? Um, there's less coverage than, than Pizzagate about this. So what can I tell you? Um, it said, uh, ultimately, climate change will reduce the amount of food grown around the world. Myers told Live Science. Initially, some experts thought that rising carbon dioxide levels might act as a fertilizer and increase food yield, Myers said. However, a more recent research, more recent research suggests that the net effects of climate change will mean decrease in food yield, he said. For example, studies have shown that the combination of increased levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, rising temperatures, and changes to precipitation may result in significantly lower yields for staple crops, such as corn and wheat, particularly in the tropical areas where food production is normally high, Myers said. Uh, areas that experience increasing temperatures due to climate change will also likely see an increase in crop pests. Oh, that's not nice to call anyone a pest, is it? It's just, you know, like uh, uh, competing mouths to feed, I guess. Huh? Any, may, may we change the, the, the pests from, uh, you know, uh, others who want to eat also? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so uh, Meyer said currently uh, pests or, you know, others who also want to eat are responsible for 25 to 40 percent of all crop loss. Um, he said, and uh, as climate change continues, uh, these pests or competing mouths to feed will be able to expand their reach. Um, insects may move into areas where they weren't found previously and where plants haven't evolved defenses to ward them off, Meyer said. It's also possible that uh, certain predators of crop pests, such as birds, may shift the, uh, the timing of their migration because of climate change in ways that could prevent, the, uh, prevent them from uh, keeping the... Uh, pest populations in check, he said, those competing mouths to feed, uh, under uh, 
location, the, 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 uh, in this article it says, the location of much of the world's agriculture will also change in ways that affect the global food supply. Myers said, agriculture in tropical regions will likely be the hardest hit by climate change, he said, and higher global temperatures will make will make it more difficult for farmers to work in the heat of the day, uh, leading to less food production, he added. Indeed, existing research already shows that heat limits work at certain times of the day, depending on the season and certain tropical and subtropical areas. He said, uh, other food sources, uh, such as fish, fish, fish isn't a food source. People, what? Who eats fish? Are there any fish left in the ocean anyway? The oceans are depleted of fish. But okay, so what does it say here? Other food sources such as fish, which, uh, okay, uh, will decrease in quantity, Myers said in his talk. And as the ocean warms, fish move toward uh, the Earth's poles, he said. The problem with food production decreasing near the equator, he noted, is that uh, almost all of the human population uh, growth that is predicted for the next 50 years will occur in the tropics, Myers said. And although regions closer to the poles will experience warmer weather and longer growing seasons as a result of climate change, these changes won't be large enough to make up uh, for the loss of food production in the tropics, Myers said. And food quality, in addition to changes in the amounts and location of food production, research shows that when certain foods are grown at high levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide, they lose some of their nutritional value, Myers said. Um, Myers uh, and his colleagues first published research on this phenomenon in 2014 in the journal Nature. In that study, the researchers grew crops, including wheat and corn, under two conditions, elevated carbon dioxide levels or normal carbon dioxide levels. The elevated carbon dioxide levels represented the concentration uh, that is estimated to be in the atmosphere in 50 years, Meyer said. Uh, they found that the crops grown under elevated carbon dioxide levels had lower levels of protein, zinc, and iron, Myers said. Um, uh, the decreases in the nutrients could worsen the public health problem of uh, nutrient deficiencies. Myers added iron and zinc deficiencies are already huge health problems today. Uh, in the future, 200 million more people worldwide could develop a zinc deficiency and 1 billion people who already have a zinc deficiency could see their deficiency worsen due to these nutritional changes, Meyer said. Uh, research shows that there would be similar effects for iron and protein deficiencies as well, he said. Um, have you noticed uh, no vegans have any protein deficiencies? Huh? Why do people always say, how do you get your protein? And yet there are no vegans crawling around saying, you know, protein, I need protein. You just don't see that in the streets. Yet uh, from animal protein, you see uh, cancer. <laughs> Unbelievable here. Um, Bob Linden said. Uh, okay, so uh, what does it say here? The findings illustrate how the effects of climate change are still 
surprising, even to scientists, Myers said. Uh, Never in a million years would we have predicted that an effect of climate change would be crops losing their nutritional value, he said. Uh, There is no way we would have anticipated that. So uh, there you have that. We... uh, we uh, talk about climate change uh, pretty much every week on this program. And we also uh, discuss the solution, which is going vegan, just in case uh, you don't see it anywhere in the uh, fake, uh, fake media out there. So anyhow, um, let's see. So right about now, Jacob, I would be hitting a button on the screen that I don't see that would start music. And I would also be telling you that just coming up uh, in a few minutes, we will be talking to Jahina Malik, who uh, happens to be the first ever vegan since birth uh, International Federation of Bodybuilders uh, professional. So um, she will be coming up and also coming up um, at the top of the hour, we will be talking to Professor Gary Francione and Professor Anna Charlton on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. You know, we're listener supported. We uh, could uh, certainly use your help with a tax deductible donation. You can find the donate button at, along with hundreds of free archives from our shows from over. We've been broadcasting now for 16 years. So uh, please uh, support us with a donation at GoVeganRadio.com.
And we continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com, on Twitter at GoVeganRadio, and Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And uh, we'd like to thank uh, Vegetarian House for its support of the program. Vegetarian House, 100% vegan restaurant in San Jose, 520 East Santa Clara Street, one of the best vegan restaurants in the world. Check out the menu at vegetarianhouse.us. Just an amazing uh, array. It's just the international cuisine. It's like, oh, what do vegans eat? Come on, we we have the best food. And uh, Vegetarian House uh, has uh, the best food in the San Jose area. Uh, Vegetarian House also caters. So if you have an event coming up, uh, business event, uh, wedding, social event, make sure the food is great. Get in touch with Vegetarian House at 520 East Santa Clara Street. That's vegetarianhouse.us. So on today's program, we have uh, Jahina Malik. Now, Jahina is uh, the first ever vegan since birth. First ever vegan since birth, International Federation of Bodybuilders professional. So do I have that right, uh, Jahina? Is that correct? <laughs> Yes, that's correct. Hello. Congratulations. Hello. Thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure indeed. So, well, that is a a major accomplishment right there in the sense that, first of all, being vegan since birth. Now, that in itself is your your first major accomplishment. How did did that happen? (laughs) Yes, as myself, along with five, well, well, with me... It's six siblings all together, so all six of us were born vegan. So our parents, of course, they were brought up, they ate meat, and they were forced to eat meat. They, their parents never under, well, told them why or even answered questions. Like my dad always had questions, and his mother would just, you know, tell him, eat what's on your plate. So my mother and father, they just got spiritual and this health conscious together, like in their late teens, before my mother even started having any kids. The first child was at 17, so, um, and they're seven years apart. So I think my dad was, what, like 20-something, some, I don't, don't, don't know the math. <laughs> but, yeah, so um, they just became health conscious, conscious on their own. Um, before I was born, um, my dad had always had a garden from before I was on earth to where he moved now in Florida. Like, he always kept the gardening a house. So growing up, we had a lot of pure vegetables and pure without the garden, along with like, you know, tofu and soybeans. Mm-hmm. Because back then, like in the 80s there, veganism wasn't as popular as it is now. So of course, it's way easier now. But we had to, um, most, like we, most of our food was a straight out the garden. So we, just, we all lucked out just to have parents who went health conscious on their own to to decide to raise all their kids as vegans. That, that's that was that's so amazing. Yeah. Blessed and one lucky one. Yeah, very much yeah, so. So, so, so that was in the in the 1980s that your parents went vegan. Is that? Uh... No, they no. My first, my brother, he was born in 70s, so I think in the 50s. Oh, um, really? Yeah, my my parents were in their 60s, and I don't know if my dad made 70 yet. But they they that's when they were like that was years ago. I wasn't even thought about. I'm the third child, so that was. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it must be, it had to be like 50s because my brother was born in 72. So, yeah. <laughs> or so late 60s, I guess. Okay, my brother was born in 72. So before my mom had him, 
So okay, so whatever year that was. So so that could so, okay, have been sixties. Sixties. So they went vegan in the sixties. Wow, now that that's yeah. really amazing. Mm-hmm. So I yes, uh, my brother was born in seventy two. So before he was born. <laughs> wow, that, that's 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 really amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I went vegan in nineteen eighty four, and uh, even um, even then it was you know nobody you know, nobody. Nobody I know, that, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't don't you love how it is so popular now? Because I, I, I get so excited when I see a silk commercial on TV. <laughs> it's amazing how far it's come. It's oh like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. And uh a lot yeah. of uh world class athletes now are vegan. I mean there's, yes. you know, there's there's the you know, the myth yes. that you have to have uh, animal protein and all, but you're I mean you're a professional bodybuilder who uh, vegan since birth. So uh, uh, w- w- don't people say, well, how can you do that without way? Like no way, no way. W H E Y. Yes. And the funny thing is people said, well, everybody, well, the majority around me or who knew me said it wasn't possible. So of course it didn't take a year or two. It took like a decade, but I <laughs> had to work even harder to compete against, you know, the, the, the females that I, I went against, but I just wanted to prove to everybody, especially the naysayers, that it was possible. I tell you, it wasn't easy at all, mm-hmm. but but it's just a surreal experience. Or I was on cloud nine when the day I, re- I remember the day like yesterday when it happened. I was I couldn't barely breathe because I was like, "Is this a dream?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I, I have a friend uh, Kenneth G. Williams who uh, uh, would be considered to be the first. Uh, bodybuilding champion who was vegan but um you know you're you're a lifetime vegan so that's uh, mm-hmm. that, that you know that was a great accomplishment on his part but uh and yeah and you're in you know, definitely you're in serious bodybuilding well so how did how did you get interested in in, in bodybuilding and you know when did that happen well it's funny because i guess in my mind i was strong but I was so skinny growing up. <laughs> yeah, you've seen some before pictures. So I always thought it was tough, but um, I didn't have any. I didn't have any type of muscle tone or anything. So a while ago, I posted this picture on my Instagram page, saying um, "Beauty, Beauty the Beast." My beauty pictures when I was homecoming queen, and you see how I'm just like there with no type of muscle tone, just there. And then my beast one is when um, me flexing with my muscles. <laughs> so you're side by side. So um. But um, I saw a show, I saw a bodybuilding competition one day, and I was like in awe, like, wow, look at these ladies. Oh, I'm like, oh, that muscle. And, oh, I was 19 at the time. So, of course, me, I, I told myself I could do that. And I literally just, like, a few months after, I just jumped to, jumped to my first bodybuilding show, not knowing still how to train or how to eat properly on a vegan diet because, you know, a lot of um, – meals like my dad will make will be high in sodium, you know, like like the way I eat as a vegan is not the way you eat when you better go on stage because my first show, I was still like holding water, of course. I could tell I was having a lot of sodium. <laughs> but I was nineteen, but I still won my first show. Oh. But if it was my parents if it was my parents I probably would have stopped there. But um because I have that um video somewhere. But um I wasn't ready but I just Want to do it, and then I I kept going and started learning my body how you know to eat and how to eat um, correctly being a bodybuilder. But um, it, it was a great experience for me that was getting my first show. All teenage teenage shows, of course, that was easy as when they had the teenage division. But um, I was just so oh my gosh, I won! So <laughs> after that, I became serious, and 
then I started, you know, like my happy place was at a gym, and then I just love the transformation, just seeing, you know, just seeing results, and seeing muscle, just just makes me happy. Like even to this day, if I'm sad or I'm stressed or anything, I go to the gym and leave. I'm much better. And uh, are, yeah. are there certain times of the year when you're uh, more in training for competitions or shows or, you know, other times yeah, of the year um, when you might eat potato chips or cookies yeah. or something? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Uh-huh. Um, like, for instance, right, okay, right now I'm not dieting yet, but um, I'm eating clean because soon I will be dieting because I was um, doing a show in April, but as of now, as of now I don't know if I'm going to end up pulling out of that show or not, but I'm definitely doing a New York pro now, May 20th. Um but of course, if I'm not training for a show, I like my Lenny's Larry's cookies. I like my jalapeno chips. You know, like my vegan snacks. You know, my oh, they have the vegan cheesecake at Red Bamboo downtown. Like, yeah, I love. Like since I was little, I like my dad's like, you love your sweets. But of course, if I'm training for a show, I can't pick out like and do that, or I even eat the protein bars and prep. But that's too much sugar still with the carbs. You know, so it's more about eating food, mm-hmm. not you know eating in the bar when you prep. It's not. Right. You're supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And and so yeah. and you live in New York. Uh, you're in New York City. Yes, correct. Okay. Yes, New York. My home. My Born hometown. Raised in Queens. In, in Queens. Ah, I went to Queens College. So. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> um. My my mom. Wait. My mom went to. My mom went to Queens. No, New York. My brother went. Which one was the one? My brother went to Queens. My mom went to York. I think I got it right. Yeah, my mom went to York College. Or college. My brother went to Queens. Yep. College. There I was, Queen. But yeah, I live in Brooklyn right now, though. <laughs> uh, okay, still got some good vegan restaurants around you there. Yeah, um, one of the best ones in Brooklyn is by far still with Champs. That's still the best one in Brooklyn to me. Mm, very good. So you been to Champs Diner? Have you no, to- I haven't. I, I'm I'm in California now. I haven't been back to New York in oh, a while. Oh, so you said Queen. Oh, you're from New York. I'm, oh, I'm okay, from okay, New York. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I I went to oh. uh, I went to Stuyvesant High School and Queens College, and then uh, oh. uh, I I came back for a short time. I was program director of a of a radio station for a short time, CD 101 or WQCD. Oh wow! Uh, and then, uh, but I have this gypsy life of. Uh, you know, traveling. Well, it it was a gypsy life as a as a program director at at music radio stations. Oh, and, uh, amazing! Actually, I'm I'm planning on That's starting. Fun. I'm planning on putting on an uh, an internet uh, music radio station, which I hope will be on, you know, within days or a week or two. You know, called Radio Bobby. Wow. So I'm really, I've been. That's what I've been doing the last few days. I've been converting music over from. Uh, uh, I can get it from YouTube and then convert it to MP3 so that it can go into the music library. I, oh. I just put 800 songs together in the last few days. And I, that's what I'm doing in all my free time now is, is converting music. Wow. So, and, uh, and you, you have, you have an, a, a beautiful name that sounds like, like in Washington, DC, I was program director of Jazzy 100. So Felicia Ledesma was on in the morning, you know, Felicia Ledesma mm-hmm. sounds great, but Jahina Malik sounds like just the perfect on air name for a, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> it has, a, has that ring to it. So, <laughs> so, oh, so, I appreciate so, it. so tell us what, uh, well, what, what do you eat? What's, what's your healthy way of eating? I mean, and, and again, t- this is quite amazing, but we are talking to the first ever vegan since birth <laughs> professional bodybuilder with the International Federation of Bodybuilders, the <laughs> IFBB. And, and you've, uh, you've, you've won some titles or you've placed in, competition haven't you what 
Well, I, I, be, I, I got my IFBB Pro title in 2014. And 2015 was my pro debut. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked my best for that show. But um, the last year, I said the Arnold Classic. But the New York Pro is the third biggest show. The Arnold Classic um, is the second biggest show in the world. So I, even though I wasn't ready, ready for that show, I did because I, it was 50 girls they selected from the world, and I just wanted to do it to say I did it. But um, um, out of 50, I was like in the middle, so I, I was I was proud of where I placed. But um, for me to still be a brand new pro, I, I was still happy. But I I only prepped for like eight weeks because they didn't give us the list to later on. But if I knew if I had a 16 week which my coach would say I would have been like 10 times better. So that's why this year my goal is to shock everybody um, next time I'm, I get on stage. Terrific. Okay. And so yeah, what, what are you eating then? What, uh, what does uh, you know, a professional vegan bodybuilder eat? What, what's your main food? Yeah, right. What do you like most? Well, what? Okay. Well, right now I'm not dieting yet, so I'm, I'm still playing around to – it's cycle time. So, like, you know, in the morning time, with every, every single morning, I have my um, cup of oatmeal. Like, I like it when I like it, like, dry, not the, not the quick not the quick oats. The ones, like, the rolled oats, just still thick. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and then I put um, cinnamon and a handful of blueberries in it with, and a little bit of um, brown sugar and um, some soy milk just to wet it, um, but not to bury my oats. Well, that's like my meal one. Um, um, once in a while, well, I, stopped, I haven't been eating it. Because once in a while, we're at um, Tuferky, like one slice Tuferky link with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been trying to stray away from like um, uh, processed foods. Mm-hmm. So, but, but now I eat, as soon as I'm hungry, I eat again. So before I used to wait to two, two and a half, three hours later. So like last year, I mean, have this protein shake. Well, now my protein is from pea protein. Um, I'll have that with either almond milk or uh, soy milk. Plus, I would like a not not too long afterwards. I'll have a shake. The later on, um, I may either have it. It varies. I may have a one 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 thing that I really like right now is the Beyond Meat um, burger because it's um, pea protein and is twenty grams of protein for a burger. So. Um, I may have uh, that with either spilt bread or a sandwich or that with like broccoli or quinoa. I'll I, I, I change it up. So right now, it's the only one I diet I eat the same thing every day. So right now, I play around. And then um, then I may have either have um, tempeh, other sorts of not, I only, uh, may like uh, either steam or saute some vegetables to go with it. Um, the only other carbs, uh, I may have brown rice. Right now I'm just doing yeah, quinoa. Um, then the other day I had, I made some chickpeas and spinach and rice on the side. Um, what else? I may have this super greens drink with water, and I had like a handful of nuts. Um, at the gym now, so after after the gym, I'm going to have this this. Well, they have this health store in Brooklyn. They have this um um what do you call it? It may not like Satan. It's like this vegan fish. Um, it's wrapped in seaweed. So I'm going to have like a piece of that and some kale. And, and, and that's it. That'll be my last meal. And then like no no time I go to sleep. Sometimes may, I may not go to sleep after midnight, but I just eat some type of um, protein, just straight protein um, for, you know, just for, uh, to hold that hunger. You're that 
I sometimes get, mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to sometimes get, eat a scoop of peanut butter here and there, but I stopped doing that. So I'd rather make my stomach um, satiated with some extra protein before I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I just lay down. Uh-huh. Yeah, all, and then I'll not good. even... Hmm? It all sounds good to me. Yeah, it is. Sounds like real food. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, it is. And then I have my yogurt. You know, of course, I have my, uh, what, what did I start? Also, I was talking cilantro. Yesterday, this meal was so good. Um, on top of my quinoa, I spiced it up. And then I put, like, uh, pieces of cilantro on top. But just to taste together, because in my quinoa, I have some chopped up onions. And then after I um, season it, put, like, fresh cilantro on top. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, you should try that. It great, was so good. great. It was yeah. tasty. Yeah, playing around with different things. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, vegan foods, it's like uh, whatever falls on what's next to what it's next to it becomes a recipe. You know, it's all good. Seems mixed together. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it all, it all goes well together. So, and then how often are you, are you in the gym? Uh, what, you know, what, what sort of routine right might now, you have? Um, because I'm still, I still train with the tormentiscus, so um, uh, is I never had the surgery, but I had physical therapy. So I used to do legs twice a week. Now I just do it once. Because like this year, since I'll be, um, my goal is to qualify for Olympia, I, I have to do more than one pro show. So I have to lift to my body. So now I just train like four days a week. Um, I, I have to make sure my joints and everything is recovered. And not over, you know, over during anything because um, injuries for me, because I used to be an uh, ex um, runner, ex track athlete in um, basketball, which that that's how I got I started getting this knee pain from basketball season. So yeah, I used to do like um, most parts I'd be doing like five to six days. Of course, um, if I'm not um, doing a bicep, I have my cardio. But some night, some mornings, if my knee is acting up, I cannot do cardio. So, but now it's well, just training smart because it's a long season. I'm not just doing one show, which as a pro, you just can't do one show, which I which I learned mm-hmm. <laughs> last year. I only did Arnu, but I was after it. I was having heel spur injuries, and then the year I did my pro debut, I just rested. After you know, I'm still learning this thing about. Being pro, but I see some pros doing six shows, five shows, and I'm like, wow. But as a vegan, I feel like I don't know if my body could do all that, but I'm, I'm hope, 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 hoping in the two or three shows I do this year, I hope they don't have to go over, you know, three shows <laughs> trying to qualify. But I said maybe for the most, but smart if I, let's say, do one, have a show a week or two right after instead of, you know, because being dehydrated and all that stuff, like, so many times it's really not good for you so you've got to be smart about it so so you you have to be dehydrated a bit for for the shows is that what <laughs> yeah that's how because our basic our goal is to look like a trophy so normally cut water out that um i don't drink any water the day before the show i start cutting water down a wednesday before the show if the show's on saturday i start slowly dropping on my water hmm. and uh are you thirsty? You're not thinking about water, are you? Um, yeah, yeah. You thirsty? You gotta, you got you gotta drink your saliva. <laughs> and then if you, and then, but but I, I, I could take it. But if you feel like you, you need some water. You can have it like suck on ice. But yeah, I'm telling everybody to. It, it's not fun, but it's what you have to do if you want to look mm. that way on stage. Uh, you know, mm. nobody says easy. 
Ah, well, I, I will appreciate my next sip of water then uh, <laughs> more, more than I normally do. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you don't understand, that's why in the beginning of prep, I'm drinking to a gallon and a half of water, and that's all you know, my body knows. That that's how you know how much you be drinking. Then later on, your body that's how it rids of all the water. So I get I start drinking so much water, then start cutting it down. Then boom, it's show time. So yeah, mm. so science and this yeah crazy stuff. Yeah, interesting, <laughs> interesting. So how can people uh, follow you or be in touch or see what you're up to? Um, Adi, you can follow me on my Instagram page, which is ifbb. Jahina, J-E-H-I-N-A, last name, M-A-L-I-K, one, the number one, so it was I-F-E-B, Jahina Malik, one, or email is Malik at gmail.com, that's easy. My YouTube page is just my name, Jahina Malik. Um, what else? Facebook is um, Jahina Malik, for instance, you'll see I-F-B-B, and I have a fan page, you guys, I-F-B pro Jahina Malik. <laughs> so basically, if you put in search engine Jahina or vegan, from or whatever, everything pops up. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> You're everywhere. Yeah. You're everywhere. So, yeah. okay. Well, it was great talking <laughs> to, uh, with you today, and uh, wish and you luck. Thank you for your... having me. Sure. Thank you. Pleasure having you with us, uh, Jahina Malik, who is the first ever vegan since birth. I mean, that right, right there, you you should get a trophy for that, right? So, I mean, oh, well. and I promise you. The day I do qualify for for the um, Olympia, I will contact you. Okay. Because that will be that will be another accomplishment that has not been done. So I will probably faint first, and then be like, "Oh my gosh, guess what?" <laughs> so yeah, that's my ultimate goal this year. So great. Okay. I'm trying to keep my body healthy and go hard in my training and everything. Terrific. Well, we wish so you, uh, you all the success in the world, and uh, we'll be back in touch soon. We'll hopefully hear good news from you. Definitely. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jahina. Great talking to you today. You have a great night. Thanks. You too. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at go Professor Francione coming up in just a few minutes. And uh, again, uh, we invite you to support our show with a tax deduct donation at goveganradio.com.
This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. GoVeganRadio.com on Twitter, Go Vegan Radio, Facebook, Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And we have a couple of extraneous Bob Linden pages there. Um, yeah, as I was mentioning, yeah, I, <laughs> I haven't paid attention to much of anything. Forgive me if I haven't uh, posted anything. Facebook and Twitter the last few days, I have been converting music to MP3. Um, yeah, just just what the world needs is another music radio station, right? Uh, well, that's what I think. So uh, that's why I'm working on doing this, building the music library for Radio Bobby, which uh, I hope you will enjoy. Um, that was my background. Programming music radio stations, uh, at, uh, terrestrial radio stations, and uh, people kind of like the sound, and so we're trying to put it together again. I feel, you know, what's really out there. I'm, I don't know if you're if you're tired of fake music stations, and I thought most stations were that way. Um, Hello. Yeah. Let's see. Today was that a connection to Gary, and does Gary hear me or? Was that from behind? Okay. Anyway. So, anyway, I'm uh, working on getting a real music station together. Back in the day when I was programming stations, I was, had job interviews with people, you know, like at CBS and major corporations who had no clue as to the sound of good, good music, great music. They never, nobody ever listened to music to decide what was on the radio. They They did research and they... So anyway, uh, we're going to do things a little differently, and I hope that you know there's really a vast amount of music out there that uh, you know, gets an exposure uh, from over the years. Great artists, multi-genre, from you know rock, jazzy, world music, you name it. Um, and there's so much of it, and so much great music, and we will be featuring that on Radio Bobby. Uh, so kind of hoping that we'll get it together and online within the next week or so. So we're, we're working on that. Um, I just thought it was interesting that, uh, the, uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, um, is urging the newly appointed Secretary of Veterans Affairs, David, uh, Shulkin, MD, to act on a legal petition to protect veterans from colorectal cancer risk. And who wouldn't be, you know, who who would be against protecting veterans from colorectal cancer risk by eliminating processed meats such as hot dogs and pepperoni from food served all VA medical centers, clinics, and other sites of care. Uh, it says here, uh, Veterans Affairs should... Uh, eliminate processed meats to help those who served our country combat colorectal cancer. That was uh, from uh, Susan uh, Levin, uh, RD, Director of Nutrition Education, PCRM. So, uh, I mean, who? Uh, let's 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 really care for our troops and get rid of hot dogs and pepperoni at VA medical centers. Huh? It says here, the World Health Organization recently released a report announcing that processed meats are carcinogenic to humans. So, I mean, how much more directly can, we, can it be said? Uh, the World Health Organization, 
released a report announcing that processed meats are carcinogenic to humans. The authors highlighted a uh, meta-analysis that found uh, an 18% increased cancer risk per 50 grams of processed meat consumed daily. Researchers also observed associations between red and processed meat products and stomach, pancreatic, and prostate cancers. So, I mean, it seems ridiculous that uh, veterans should go to uh, a medical center to, uh, to, get, uh, to get cancer. Huh? Um, it says those who consume the most processed meats also have an increased risk of death from cardiovascular disease, according to a 2009 National Institutes of Health study of more than a half million people. The VA operates America's largest integrated health care system with over 1,700 sites of care serving 8.76 million veterans each year, according to the Veterans Health Administration, uh, which Secretary Shulkin oversaw in his former position as the VA Undersecretary of Health. So um, <laughs> pretty amazing, right? So they, you, you survive going to Iraq or Afghanistan only to succumb to the food on your plate at the Veterans Administration Hospital. Ironic. So anyway, sounds like good petition to me. Um, and uh, I also want to thank um, Evolution, Dog and Cat Food, for its support of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden and Eric Weissman. And uh, definitely get in touch with Evolution. Oh, what did, where did I put that phone number? I don't have it in front of me here now. But anyway, if you call and order Evolution, Dog or Cat Food, Dog and Cat Food from uh, uh, Eric Weissman called the number and just mentioned Bob Linden. Um, we get we get a donation actually, so oh you don't get anything. Sorry. Oh well, you get the Evolution dog and cat food, so your dogs and cats are happy and healthy. And uh, you know there have been uh, great results with uh, dogs and cats living long, happy, healthy lives. And if you have any health issues with uh, the animals in your family. Um, Get in touch with Eric Weissman. I found if I could find the number, maybe I'll find it before the end of the show. Um, and call that number, and when you order Evolution, a donation will be made to Go Vegan Radio. And uh, we certainly need the support. And uh, so, and here we go with Radio Bobby coming up soon too. So anyway, uh, it's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at goveganradio.com, on Twitter at Go Vegan Radio, Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And we will be talking to professors Gary Francione and Anna Charlton momentarily on the program. I had the mic on all the time when I said hi to you, so 
All right. Anyway, now the mic is back on. It never was off. Always watch what you say in a in a studio or uh, or a bedroom. Apparently. Um, so yes, we continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. Uh, joined now uh, as we are on a weekly basis by Professor Gary Francione of Rutgers University, the first academic to teach animal rights theory in an American law school. AbolitionistApproach.com, Abolitionist Approach on Facebook. And how are you today, Professor Francione? Fine, Bob, fine. Don't forget our website, HowDoIGoVegan.com, a really, really good website that has information about everything you need to uh, know to go and stay vegan forever. HowDoIGoVegan.com. HowDoIGoVegan.com, yes. HowDoIGoVegan.com. Anyway, yes, I'm fine. Um, uh, It was, uh, I know we're not having global warming, um, because the new head of the EPA denies it exists. But um, on the East Coast, we had a weekend where we had like 70 degree weather. Now it's gotten chillier, but it's supposed to get into the 60s later on this week. And all of the trees are starting to bud and flowers are coming up. And then we'll probably have a snowstorm that will kill everything. In any event, how are things in California? It's still raining. Uh, it, no, we just have we, we we're getting a little break now, and it's just that I mean it, it, there there has been flooding and the ground is saturated and uh, but we we have a little break now that it's just the most beautiful time like right after the uh, rain and just before the chemtrails the new chemtrails are applied to the sky it's just that most refreshing time so uh, you ever you ever uh, Look into chemtrails, or think about them, or talk about them at all. I, I, I'm sorry, I could not hear. I couldn't hear what you just said. I, I I was saying it's it's a beautiful time in California between you know the end of the rain and before they put all the chemtrails in the sky. So oh, the chemtrails. Yeah, the okay, chem, yes, the chemtrails. Yes. So you know, I, a, a few weeks ago, I said uh, to myself, uh, self. Um, you know, you're doing this radio show for 16 years and you do talk about the environment and health and all sorts of things. Um, but, you know, you never really covered chemtrails. So I thought, well, I think I'll just call the California Department of Health and see, you know, and say, like, you know, these chemtrails overhead, does anybody ever pay attention to them? Or, you know, are there any health consequences about which we should know, or are you seeing anything? And so they immediately refer me to some federal office, some stratosphere, you know, FAA office of the stratosphere. And I said, but I, I don't really want to go to a federal, you know, office for this. I'd like to know, like, anything locally going on. So then I called the governor's office, Jerry Brown, uh, who happens to be actually a big oil man. We complain about our our oil man uh, secretary of state. Well, Governor Jerry Brown is a big oil man. So I called his office and I said, uh, you know, have, have we ever considered chemtrails and the public health effect at all? And and, and uh, the spokesperson there said, uh, Governor Brown has never made a statement about chemtrails. And so, again, this is something, another one of those hidden things. I mean, they seem to be above us all. Um, and, you know, has any nobody seems to tell us what they are. And it seems like they're, you know, there could be aluminum, barium. Who, who knows? You know, I don't know. 
What's what's going to get us the chemtrails or the fluoride or the vaccines or probably the meat, dairy, fish and eggs, most likely. Well, that certainly will be uh, a contender for the most lethal. You know, it's it's interesting. It's interesting how um, the the morally best way to eat and to live as a general matter is also the best way for the environment and the best way for our health. So, um, you know, and, and it doesn't surprise me at all that we're destroying the environment, that we're destroying our health. Uh, but, uh, you know, by, by continually exploiting the most vulnerable, uh, it's, uh, it's not a story that can end well, but I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about something that I, I do fairly frequently in terms of a, a technique that I use in talking to people. And it actually works very, very well. Mind control. Good, good idea. Mind control. Why didn't I think of that? Mind control. Exactly. <laughs> no, um, it, it really does work very well. And that is, I think a lot of people, a lot of animal advocates, don't appreciate the fact that for many people, going vegan is, it's not that it's, it's not that it's difficult, but people are, people don't like to change. They don't like to make big changes in their lives. Even when they're good changes, they don't think about the change being good when it's a big change. They think about the negative aspects of the change just by virtue of being a change. And I think for some of us um, who went vegan pretty quickly, I, I did it literally overnight from a Friday to a Saturday in October of 1982. And I think you did it. Did you do it? Very quickly, or well, no? I I did it quickly as soon as I as soon as I found out about dairy and eggs, I did it overnight. But I I seem to have remained ignorant for a while, calling myself a vegetarian and consuming dairy and eggs, and uh, you know, um, think thinking nobody was getting hurt. Uh, what was I thinking? But as soon as I found out but, about dairy and eggs, I had to do it overnight. I mean, I was doing it for well, the that, animals, so I couldn't, you know, I I couldn't come up with an excuse. But I had to do it overnight once I knew that. I guess. So. Well, I, I that, that's that's what happened with me. I, I I had I'd gone become a vegetarian in I guess seventy eight, seventy nine. I don't remember when, and um, a, a, around then. 71 um, for me, 71. And so then I, and, and, and I, and I was a vegetarian. Um, the first year I was a vegetarian, I ate fish. I guess I thought fish was a vegetable. Um, but I, you know, and then I read something about fish being able to feel pain. So I stopped eating fish, but I ate dairy and eggs thinking that no one was harmed. And as I, I think I've mentioned to you before, I had never heard, I was never aware of the word vegan. I had never heard the word vegan before. Nor did I. And, um, and, and, and I, and I heard it first in October of 1982 on the Friday night in which I had a discussion with, um, with someone about veganism and became a vegan literally then. And, you know, it didn't, I mean, but, but, you know, I, I mean, you and I grew up at a time where I think, um, moral issues were paramount and, and, um, you know, there was a, a sort of a norm that you try to do the right thing. Um, and, 
And it never occurred to me that I needed to, to, to ease into this or that I couldn't do it right away. It was the right thing to do, so I did it. And um, I, I did it overnight. I, I, I cooked the chicken on a Friday night. Friends came over. I saw the body of the chicken. You know, I saw the, the body. It was like this. Someone died for me to be eating. And I, I said, I don't think I can eat animals anymore. And that, you know, that was it after cooking chicken one Friday night. So. And and um, and but I think for a lot of people, Bob, I think going vegan is overwhelming and because i you know i i speak literally to thousands of people on a yearly basis and you know between students and talks that i give and you know in 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 various either live or by skype or other i mean i i speak to trying to think last night of how many thousands of people people i talked to last year and I encounter a lot of people who want to go vegan, but they're terrified. And they have an anxiety that I don't really quite understand because it's not one I experienced. I just did it. You just did it. Mm. And and it wasn't something we sort of sat around thinking, gee, it's something we really want to do. I mean, I, I find it almost, I, I find it strange and foreign to me that you could have the the view, there's something I really want to do more because I think it's the morally right thing to do. And I can do it, but I'm not going to do it because it's just overwhelming to me. I, I felt I had no that, choice, though. You know what I mean? It was like, well, well, that, I, I can't participate in this violence. I, what can I do? If it's, is it going to affect, is it going to impair my health, which was what everybody was telling me at the time? So I, nothing, I, nothing I could do about it. I, I could not participate in the violence. So once I, I thought, you know, I, I, I had brainwashed myself thinking, oh, the animals know it's their place to be food, you know, and then I'm looking down at this poor, the body of a poor chicken. And I'm thinking, you know, he or she didn't jump into the pan. To to volunteer, you know, it's like I have no choice. Wait, wait, you know? wait, wait, wait. So, so that was was that your was that your becoming vegetarian or becoming no? That, you, no, you, that you, was you... vegetarian because I I couldn't eat animals anymore. What what could I eat? I, I mentioned it to somebody and, and they said, "Oh, you're a vegetarian. You you eat eggs and you eat dairy." You know, and I thought, "Oh, okay, I'm a vegetarian." Because I was the first vegetarian I ever knew. I didn't even know what I you know I, I didn't know any vegetarians. So no, so that was vegetarian from the cooking chicken and then uh when living in san antonio somebody confronted me with the information about dairy and eggs and was like whoa i'm done with this too what was i thinking then i was embarrassed at how long it took me to discover that but okay well so i i think you know when you say well you don't have a choice i i agree but i think a lot of people think of it that way they think I don't really have a choice in that it's something I know I have to do and I know I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but I just can't make the, 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 the transition or I can't switch because it's so overwhelming it creates anxiety in me. And I think that's a fairly, that, that's a reaction that I have encountered a great deal in the time I've been doing vegan advocacy. It's sort of a psychological thing. It's I can't do this. This is this is going to change my life so dramatically. It's it's like going up to somebody and saying, "Well, you know, you, you can't drink water anymore." 
I said, well, what do you mean? You know, it's something I do that I think is very natural, but you can't. And I think it really um, makes many people anxious. And and so one of the things I do, I mean, this, this is very, very common, where someone will uh, come up to me. I've given a talk, and someone comes up and says, you know, I really agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I, I, I need to go vegan. I I care about animals. I don't think that they're things. I realize that they have moral value. I agree with everything I heard you say tonight, but I, I can't, you know, I, I, and I want to go vegan. I want to go vegan, but I can't do this immediately. Now, I've heard that so many times in the time I've been doing advocacy, I can't tell you. And what I generally tend to do, well, I have a, a, a fairly set reaction in those situations, is to say, well, okay, let's talk about it. Now, sometimes, obviously, you know, if I have more or, you know, I can have more or less time after a presentation, um, depending on what else I'm doing and whether, you know, whether we have to get out of the auditorium or whatever. Um, I will talk with people for as long as I have to to allay their fears and explain to them how incredibly easy it is. And so someone says, I can't, I'd love to do it, but it's overwhelming, I can't do it. I say, sure, of course you can. And I try to sort of focus up. And remember, you know, you're dealing with people who, to the extent that they've ever really thought about this, they've been told that going vegan is really very difficult by all of the large groups. So what I will do is to say, well, you know, look, you're eating fruits, you're eating vegetables, you're eating seeds, you're eating grains, you're eating, you know, beans. Um, So you're already eating a lot of, plant-based foods, what you need to do, at least as far as veganism in your diet is concerned, is to increase the portions of those foods and get rid of all of the unjust foods. And so it's not really a complete change. It's simply different proportions. You're going from whatever portion of unjust foods to zero and increasing the the number the amount of the um, of the other foods which you're already eating anyway and and so I do try to make it easy because it is easy and you know I always I have at my fingertips the you know the 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 information you know how they can get information from the government and professional agencies and groups about how you know to, to be a healthy vegan and I I can direct them to various places like How Do I Go Vegan, where we're actually increasing. I'm really very happy. Um, uh, Francis uh, McCormick and Alan O'Reilly, we're all working t- together to increase the, the, the portion of the, um, the vegan recipes on the How Do I Go Vegan site. Um, we, had enor- we had a tremendous, we still have a tremendous um, set of uh, recipes from Vincent Gahane, who is a, who is a spectacular chef, um, but uh, we're 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 adding a lot of um, a lot of more simple recipes, and um, and so you know I guide them to pages like that where they can see how easy it is to 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 make vegan food, and um, you know and 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 just try to basically decrease their anxiety about this big life change. But sometimes you just can't get people to, you know, I mean, they're, they're, it's, not, it's not rational. It's simply not rational. It's not that they're 
responding in a rational way to a real problem. They're responding irrationally to a perceived shift in their lifestyle that is going to be profound and disruptive. And so what I, what I have done many times, many, many times I've done this, and it actually works, is to say, look, you know, I will spend as much time as I can uh, with the person, convincing the person that going vegan is extremely easy. And that once, you know, and, 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 and that, you know, the, the, the more difficult part, which is easy, is the diet part. Everything else, you know, buying non-animal clothing is easy. Buying, I mean, it's incredibly easy. Uh, buying uh, uh, personal care products that don't have animal ingredients and whatnot. That's also very easy. Um, but the, you know, the eating thing is the thing. I mean, and, and that's not what intimidates people. I mean, you know, talking to them about buying, you know, cotton sweaters as opposed to wool sweaters is not something that makes most people get anxious. Mm-hmm. It's the eating thing. The eating thing makes a lot of people. It's it's so interesting because, you know, food food is. I've never I've never looked at food that way that 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 you know what I ate was so incredibly important that I had some attachment to it at some level but I think for a lot of people they do I mean it, it's a it's a, a a real scary thing it's scary I think that's the best word it's it's scary it's frightening and so one of the things I do after I spend as much time as I have to or can with someone Explaining to them how easy it is. Uh, if 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 I see I'm not making any progress, that they are in fact are still scared, they're still having some sort of anxiety or you know reaction. What I've done many times is to say, okay, look, I understand you're frightened. I I I don't think you should be, and I think actually you should be excited about about this change because it's not a bad thing. It's a really great thing. You know, you're going to feel better on every single level. Um, but I understand you're still frightened. And, um, and let me make a suggestion to you. If it overwhelms you, and it shouldn't, if you're frightened of it, and you shouldn't be, then what you might want to do is consider having no animal products for breakfast for a week. Do that, and it's easy. Breakfast is easy. You know, breakfast is so incredibly easy. Not even, it's not even challenging. You know, to 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 get all the animal products out of your breakfast. Do that for a week. See that you don't go. You know, you you don't lose your eyesight. Your limbs don't fall off. You aren't enfeebled from weakness because you're you're not ingesting all of those energy-giving hormones that you're getting from animal products. They're also killing you. Um, and then try that for lunch for a week. You know, try that for lunch. You get all the animal products out of your lunch. And then you get all of the animal products out of your dinner. And then, boom, you're eating, animal, you're eating plants. You're not eating any animal products anymore. Now you have a vegan diet. Everything's easy after this. Go buy shoes. You don't buy leather. You don't buy wool. You don't buy silk. You don't buy fur. Go buy, you know, your shampoo or your whatever. 
you know, buy stuff that's got animal ingredients in it. But all that's easy. I mean, most uh, the overwhelming. I've, I've, I really have never met anybody who's had a problem once they've decided that they're going to stop shoveling the stuff into their mouth three times a day. Um, they see the wisdom of not <laughs> buying clothing that's made from animals or buying personal care products that that um, that have animal ingredients. N- nor do they go to SeaWorld. Nor do they go to the circus, nor do they go to rodeos or whatever. Um, you know, it all falls in place. As I, as I say very often, until we stop eating them, nothing changes. Once we stop eating them, everything changes. You know, the whole, your whole perspective changes. And your perspective, but your perspective, your entire, your, your perspective can't really change until you stop eating them. Um, and that's the, mo- that is the most important step. And, uh, but, as I say, if people, you know, if, if people are truly frightened, and I do think people, I think, I think those of us who do vegan advocacy have to recognize that, have to recognize that for some people it's just frightening. And we may not understand it, and we may not agree with it, and we may never have experienced anxiety when it comes to these sorts of food issues. But for, for a lot of people it does. My, my you know, anxiety I mean, would have been, I, I couldn't possibly have... Another uh, piece of a chicken, you know, that would have been my, my anxiety at the time, you know. Well, that, that, that's, that, that's right. And, and, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously, obviously the relationship we have with food has a lot of, you know, for a lot of people has psychological dimensions. I mean, you have people who have eating disorders. You have people who have all sorts of strange relationships to food. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's connected and I to think family. That, I mean, it's a... That's Culture, right. That's, that's exactly right. Exactly right. You know. You, you know. Yeah, much of one's life is spent in a situation where the primary activity going going on around one is the consumption of food. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all have memories of wonderful times and not so wonderful times focused on food. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, you know, but I, I do think that there's, I, I think that there's a certain amount of, I, th- I think, I think a lot of vegan advocates, a lot of animal advocates, don't really um, countenance this. They, they don't really appreciate the extent to which there is a real psychological dimension here, and that people do get frightened. Hmm. And I'm using that literally. I mean, they, they get frightened. You know, it's, it's, it's an anxiety producing, it's sort of a, a, you know, it's this, it's this floating fear. You don't really, you know, you can't really attach it to anything, but it's there. It's anxiety. Yeah. They're, they're not going to fit in anymore. They're not going to fit in right, exactly. the family, friends, exactly. the, the, the exactly. world I mean, in general. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just like, it's like, wow, you know, and so, so I, what I recommend that people do is first of all, to not be anxious. And, and I try to sort of decrease, take concrete steps to decrease their anxiety by showing them what they can eat and how easy it is to do it and discussing with them things like, well, what do you do when your friends and your family, you know, have, have, have comments or don't feel comfortable with you and things like that. And I do, I spend a lot of time talking to people about that. But what do you do in a situation where someone says, I just can't do it cold turkey, cold tofurkey? Um, and what I, as I was saying, what I've said many times to people is, 
okay, fine. Then try it one week or two weeks or whatever, and then two weeks or one week or two weeks, and then one week and two weeks, and then boom, you're not eating any more animal foods. But then I always add, however, you have started this conversation with me by saying you recognize what I said was right, that it's wrong to exploit non-human animals, and that that you recognize, you agree that we are violating the fundamental rights of animals by eating animals. And so, therefore, you're now in a very, very, very troubling spot because you've now acknowledged that you were doing something wrong, but you're saying you can't stop. And what I suggest to you is if you feel you have to do this three-step program, or whatever you want to call it, if you feel you have to, then if that's the only way you're going to get from A to B, then I guess that's what you're going to have to do. However, keep in mind that the choice that you're making means that you're going to continue to violate the rights of, of, of the animals that you're consuming over the next one or two or three or four or five or six weeks. And that you've got to understand this is a very serious proposition. And it's it's serious. I think it's serious because I believe that animals have fundamental rights, but you believe it's serious too because you started off by saying you want to go vegan because you agree that it's wrong to violate the fundamental rights of animals, that we shouldn't be eating them, wearing them, and using them. And so this is what I do. And, 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 and there are some people who, I mean, there, whatever I say, people will criticize me. That's something I learned a long time ago. Um, and so there's some people who say, ah, well, you know, he's just proposing baby steps. What's the difference between this and, you know, Meatless Monday and Veganuary and Reducitarianism? And the answer is, if you're really asking that question sincerely, then you don't understand analogical reasoning to save your life. But um, obviously it's very different from saying to somebody, well, reduce the amount of meat that you're eating or the amount of dairy or the amount of eggs or go vegan for January or, you know, or, or buy cage-free eggs or crate-free pork or, you know, it, those are measures, the welfarist measures, which actually um, put a stamp of approval on animal exploitation that supposedly reduces suffering. That's not what I'm talking I'm not talking about putting a stamp of approval on anything. I'm talking about people who have acknowledged and also Remember, those welfareist uh, devices are all used in a context where people have not recognized that veganism is a moral imperative because the welfareist groups don't promote veganism as a moral imperative. They promote it simply as a way of reducing suffering. So as long as one is reducing suffering, I mean, they're just, there are just different ways of reducing suffering, some more effective than others, but they're all, they're qualitatively all the same. And so there's no moral obligation to do one, or, or I mean, as long as one is reducing suffering, one is satisfying one's moral obligation in that way of looking at the world, which I reject. But what I'm talking about is situations where people agree that what they're doing is morally wrong and that there is a moral imperative here. Mm -hmm. That's key. There is a moral imperative here. And they see it and they accept it. But 
their acting on it is something which frightens them. That's when I use this. I can't, I can't, it, I can't stop engaging in immoral behavior because I'm, I'm afraid of delicious, healthy food. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, Bob, what, what's, what's remarkable is, you know, Anna and I have gotten pretty good at making fast, easy vegan food. I mean, tonight we had a salad and, and a cauliflower soup. And it was incredibly healthy. No oil. You know, no oil. The, the fats came from uh, pumpkin seeds. Um, and it was really, it was, it was just terrific. And when I, you know, the number of times I'll say to Anna or Anna will say to me, wow, isn't it hard being vegan? Because it's just so easy and the food is so good and you feel so good when you eat it because you don't feel, you know, you don't feel heavy, you don't feel uh, uncomfortable because you're not eating all that garbage. You're not eating all the processed foods and all the, you know, all the junk and all the, the, the trans fats and all that sort of stuff. You're just not eating any of that. And, and, um, and it is easy. And, but, but, you know, people are frightened. People are frightened of, of change. It, it, and it, it really is easy. I mean, I, um, some of my living situations, I, I basically, I have a big, you know, one big pot, you know, a cutting board and a knife. And that's, <laughs> you can pretty much get by <laughs> just, just like that, you know, and, uh, exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, and, 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 and um, it, it, it is so incredibly easy, and it's so incredibly good, and it's so incredibly good for you, and it is a fraction. I just love these people who say, well, being a vegan is elitist. What are these people talking about? Eating vegan, I mean, unless you want to buy a lot of processed foods and make a lot of elaborate stuff. It's a fraction of the cost of eating when your foods include animal products. Now, I'm amazed at how expensive, even though it's highly subsidized in terms of you know, all sorts of government subsidies, tax subsidies, um, land subsidies and things like that, and, and, and you know, subsidies for irrigation and subsidies for this and subsidies for that. It's still highly subsidized, but it's very expensive despite all those subsidies. Mm. I mean, you know, what you can buy, you know, what, what, you, what you can spend to get, you know, to get not even that, you know, great quality meat or whatever, you can get a lot more plant food for that amount of money. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy, it's cheap, and it's much better for you. So I agree. It's irrational to be frightened of it. Indeed, what you should be frightened, what people should be frightened of is the fact that they're eating decomposing flesh, cow mucus, and chicken ova. They should be terrified. Scares me. Yeah. They, they should be terrified of what that stuff's doing to them because mm. it's killing them. Yeah. It's absolutely killing them. But, you know, people being people, it's not that, you know, it's, it, you know, we watch television. We we, hear all the, we get fed all the we get fed all the stuff about about you know what's good and what's bad. You know, I mean, if, if you know you watch you watch TV and you see what's advertised, and the number of times we'll be watching you know some something that on commercial television and see some ads for food or a restaurant chain or something, 
And I always say to Anna, how do people eat that stuff and live? Right, right. You know, how do they, you know, how do they go to these places and eat, you know, these pancakes that have, you know, like whipped cream and chocolate nuggets and syrup and, and, and all these and, uh... It's like, how do they eat this stuff? And, you know, A, not, not you know, gain a, an enormous amount of weight, which is unhealthy, but how do they, how do they live? You know, I mean, I mean then, then we wonder why, you know, the commercials at night are all about cholesterol and, you know, erectile dysfunction and all the stuff that comes directly from eating animal foods and what animal foods do to your body. So... So that's what they should be frightened of, but they're not. Mm. They're not. Mm-hmm. And and you know and so and and, and you know it, it's look when I became a vegan in '82, I thought I thought you know I, I thought I was doing something unhealthy. I thought you know I'm going to get sick, but that's okay. You know this is the right way. <laughs> this is the right way to live. Mm. You know and I, but I thought it was you know I mean every every doctor I knew back then in '82, everybody. I mean, because I hadn't met, the first vegan doc I met was Michael Clapper, whom I met in 80, God, 83, 84. Yeah, probably 84. I, I mean, maybe 83. I, I mean, I, he was the first one I met. I'd never met a vegan doctor before. And and um, all the doctors I knew, you, you know, everybody thought that, you know, being a vegan was, was you know, that's death. You know, you're like, this. It's like a, it's it's like prolonged suicide. You're going to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, um, and I I still think I I still believe I think I think vegans and animal advocates as a general matter underestimate the extent to which most people, on some level, think that animal products are natural in the sense of they they are what provides optimal health for you. That you know that you need animal products for optimal health. So I still think there's a huge. I mean, you can say, well, nobody really can believe that in 2017. The answer is no. No, they can't. Really, they can't rationally believe it, but they do believe it. Kid yourself not. There are lots and lots of people out there. They do. They you know, who, yeah, I agree. They do. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 and and I and I think that's. I think many of us underestimate the extent to which um, people think that. Well, there was a campaign. I, I, I remember when they, there was a campaign to eat something like seven or eight vegetables a day or something. But the, the dairy industry also did a, uh, you know, three servings of dairy a day as, as its promotion, you know, for, for health. And I saw in supermarkets there were there were bags, you know, three servings of dairy a day. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty complete brainwashing job that, that happens. But I think people think you need Dairy and meat, you know, you know, how do you get strong bones? How do you stay healthy? Sure. sure. And, and they think that, well, if you're going to, if you're going to give up meat, if you're going to go vegetarian, well, then that really puts the, the pressure on you to figure out where you're going to get protein from, because apparently people don't realize that cows don't eat meat. They're large animals. They eat nothing but plants and they turn all of those plants into, you know, meat that people eat to get protein from. Um, and that plants have tons and tons of protein. You can get all the protein you need from plants. A lot of people don't. I mean, the, the, the average, the, the, the level of nutritional knowledge of the average American is like zero. 
Mm-hmm. No, you know, and it's not because. It, but 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 again, if you think back, you know, I, I mean, it, 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 with us, Bob, as each day goes by. The memories of grammar school get fainter and fainter and fainter. But if you remember when we were children, we were always told. We were told that you had to drink milk, that you had to eat meat, that you had to eat eggs, that these things were, you know, that these things were, I mean, the, the school lunch programs all subsidized milk. I mean, every kid was given milk. We, we had milk and cookies every day in, in class. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, oh, God, Stuff they used to feed us when we were children, Unbelievable. but but, um, uh, but but so I I do think I think that there is, um, you know that that as as vegan educators, we need to understand that most people think that they need to eat animal products for optimal health, and that we need to educate them away from that, and. And we also have to realize that for many people, going vegan is a frightening proposition. Not rationally frightening, but irrationally frightening because it involves a big change. Most people are not comfortable with big changes, but what we've got to do is to try to, to, to help them dissipate their anxiety by, by concrete education about you know, how easy it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the number of times I have spent an hour after a public lecture with a, a group of young people going through their recipes for, the, you know, like somebody will have a laptop there, we'll go to a site, you know, we'll go to How Do I Go Vegan, or we'll go to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Alan and, uh, and, and Francis's site, and we'll go through recipes and say, okay, Monday do this Tuesday, you do that Wednesday, and and people see how easy it is, and then you can watch the the anxiety dissipate. But for some people, it's not going to happen, and so therefore, that's when I say, okay, fine. Then if that's what you if that's a choice you're going to make, then you know if you are saying you can't do it, what you really mean is you won't do it, and if you won't do it, then um, you know, do your breakfasts, your lunches, and your dinners for a week or two weeks or whatever, and then you'll see that you know you'll see that it's it's really not hard at all, mm-hmm. and your anxiety will will gradually diminish. However, but I say I think this is key. You've got to make it clear to people. If it's a moral imperative, it's a moral imperative. Boom. Yeah. So if people are continuing to violate the moral imperative, they've got to do that knowing what they're doing. And so I think I, I mean, I always tell them, look, you want to do it. This is how, if this is how you can, you know, this is what makes you most comfortable doing it in that gradual way. Then A, make it a short time as possible because B, you're violating animals' rights every time you stick something in your mouth. Every egg you eat Every baked good you eat that's got egg in it, every drop of milk, every everything, you know, every bite of flesh, it's all suffering, it's all death, it's all injustice, it's all wrong. Now, then again, I also have uh, my approach on, on some of this, which I know has worked at least once, uh, which was a few years ago, I met some people in L.A. who said, yeah, I agree, you know, like, Eventually, I think we do. We we have to go vegan. 
So I said, well, if it's eventually and you're going to do it anyway, today's as good a day as any. And I say, do it today, you know? And that was just, you know, from a meeting I had with a couple of people. And then a couple of years later, I heard from them and they said, by the way, we went vegan that day. And, you know, we have other friends now who have gone vegan because of us. But so uh, that was my my approach is if you're going to do it eventually, then today's the day, you know, and uh, it worked at least once. I don't know if I recommend it, you know, all the time. Maybe maybe people need to do the breakfast, lunch and dinner, but I'll try that. It's, if you know you have to do it and it's going to happen eventually, today's the day. Well, yeah, no, no, and 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 I, I mean, I think that's that's the first the first line of defense, the first line of the first line of education is to explain how incredibly simple it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I always tell people when they say, "Well, how do I learn about nutrition?" I say, "Well, first of all, you can't be that concerned about nutrition because the stuff that you're eating is killing you." Mm-hmm. Number one, number two, the extent that you want to learn about nutrition, about vegan nutrition. If you're a slow reader, you can do it in about an hour. If you're a fast reader, you can do it, you know, in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. It, there's not a whole lot to there's not a whole lot to learn on the nutritional front. You know, I mean, there's certain things you need to make sure that you get, and and in the same way that you know, I mean, I mean, in the in the same way that you have to get those things when you're eating animal products. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize that many. People who eat animal products have B12 deficiencies. I mean, it's not vegans that have to worry about B12. It's not vegans alone that have to worry about B12. There's tons of people who have B12 deficiencies who eat animal products. Mm-hmm. So everybody's got to be concerned about B12. And it's something that we all get from, from it's exogenous. We get, I mean, although our bodies will make, our bodies make some amount of B12, but for most of us, it's not, it's not enough. It's not predictably enough. And so we have to supplement. But everybody supplements. It's just a question of whether or not they're supplementing by eating the B12 that's in the gut of an animal. Um, you know, and, and, and the animal's getting it from, you know, the, the animal's getting it from, from eating things that are fermenting in it, you know, in, in, the, in the gut. Um, but you're either eating it from, you're either getting it from eating it in an animal or you're getting it from, from eating it in a, in a you know, from a, uh, from a, um, a mushroom source or something like that. I mean, you know, we're, we're all getting it from something outside of ourselves, but we all have to worry about getting it. Whether, you know, and, and many of us who are eating animals are still deficient in B12. So, you know, you got to worry about that sort of stuff. But other than that, I mean, you know, and, and it's like, it's like you say, wow, but, you know, you're not going to be able to get your long chain DHA, EPA, you're, you're not going to be able to get your, your omega uh, uh, fatty acids. And the answer is, well, everybody's getting them from some source. And, you know, I, I get them from, from, you know, from walnuts and from flax seeds and things like that. And other people get them from, you know, eating fish, which is impregnated with 60 tons of mercury and things like that. And, and, and so, you know, but, 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 you know, you can learn all this in a, in a very short period of time, extremely short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I've, so, I've never so seen anybody crawling through the streets, any vegan, you know, screaming like, protein, I need protein. There's just no protein deficiency disease there. I don't know what's created in our mind about it. Yeah, no, I think I think that it is it, it's imperative. It's absolutely imperative. 
that um, that we try to educate people about how incredibly simple it is to um, incredibly simple it is to go vegan and to learn everything you need to learn about the nutritional stuff and, and, and dissipate their anxiety to the extent that we can rationally do that. But as I say, some of this has to do with with an irrational fear of change. Some of it has to do with how am I going to relate to people in my life? And that's, sort of, that, that's the sort of thing you need to talk to people about and how they deal with that. And you've got to spend some time doing that. And, 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 and you know, the, uh, that's something that, you know, again, uh, that's one of, the, one of the other topics that I spend a fair amount of time talking to people about. How do I deal with my family? How do I deal with my friends? Um, and you know you have to you have to be frank with people. Yeah, some people are gonna you know you're gonna you're gonna feel alienated by some of your friends because you're taking a moral position. And you know what? Every time you take a moral position in life, you get some people upset. So the question is, do you care ultimately? I mean, you know what? If people if if you have friends and your friends are unwilling to at the very least respect the fact that you have sincerely held beliefs that are quite rational and quite quite sensible in terms of your belief about what follows from the recognition that animals have moral value. If your friends aren't willing to countenance that, what sort of friend? I mean, you know, do you, do you really want them as friends? Are they really friends? You know, and sometimes you know, and and you know, and 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 sometimes people have. Even more pressing issues. Well, what do I do? I have a partner. I have a, I have a spouse. What, what, you know, this is you know that's sticky. That's sticky. You know, what do you what do you do in a situation um, where you know you've got you know you've got a uh, you know you've got two people who are uh, who have a, a commitment to each other, um, formal or informal, but they're living together. They may even have children together. What do you do in a situation? I mean, you know, that, that's that's a legitimate, you know, that's a legitimate topic. But you know, and but you, you try to sort of get people to see how easy it is, at least in terms of their making the decision is concerned, mm-hmm. and their own life, their own lives are concerned. Mm-hmm. But as I say, sometimes you're going to have a situation where someone says, "I have to transition," and I just can't do it overnight. I can't do it overnight. It's too difficult. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I can't do. It. And then that's when I recommend this three-step thing. However, keeping in mind, this is not a welfare's baby step thing. Because what is imperative to understand is that the welfare's baby steps all reject veganism as a moral baseline. All of them. This is in the situation where you're talking about accepting veganism as a moral baseline, but having a practical problem that is presented by an irrational fear. That's what we're talking about here. And so, I mean, I, look, I think I, one of the things that I think is, is difficult is a lot of a- animal advocates think that, you know, vegan education is easy. I just love this. I, I, one of the things I, I, get a, I get a kick out of is these folks who say, well, you know, you, you all are doing, you know, vegan advocacy. That's really like, that's not, that's not like edgy and you know, hard and difficult like, us going into a restaurant saying it's not food, it's violence, wearing coordinated T-shirts and holding candles, or going to these events where they bear witness to trucks. They stop the trucks that are on the way to the slaughterhouse, 
and um, and they bear witness, which often involves um, a behavior that I think is uh, it, it increase. I mean, once the animals are on the way to the slaughterhouse, you know what? The the best thing is it happens as fast as possible. Stopping them and crying and wailing and whatnot um, is not helping the animals. It's something that that may have some effect on the people, on the humans. Doesn't have any effect on the animals. It doesn't help the animals. Uh, but a lot of activists think that that's the, that's the hard stuff. That we're just doing the easy stuff, and that they're doing the hard stuff. And the answer is, you know, I, I think a lot of that other, I think a lot of the theatrics are just counterproductive. I don't think that I, I, I'm, I don't think that they're helpful. I think they're counterproductive. And and that they downplay the difficulty of vegan advocacy. Vegan advocacy is very difficult and it is challenging because, you know, we're dealing with beliefs that are very deeply ingrained and, and, and with, with social issues and personal issues and issues of anxiety. And, and you know, I mean, it, 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 it's hard. I mean, you know, it's, it, and we've got, to, we've got to really be better about it. You know, I, I, I mean, I, we really do need to be better about it in terms of, we need to really, um, I, I think, get more sophisticated in our educational strategy and in recognizing, you know, I mean, the number of, the number of people, I, the number of animal advocates I meet who just think that, what's well, a foregone conclusion? Everybody knows that you don't have, you know, they, they think that people are eating meat simply because of, you know, the, 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 they, they enjoy the taste. Well, I think that that is true. As a matter of fact, it's an argument I've made many times that basically that's the best justification we have. But that's not what people think. The reason why they get upset about Michael Vick is because they they reject the fact that Michael Vick imposed suffering and death on animals for reasons of pleasure. And they reject that. They think that's wrong. But they bristle when I initially suggest that they're no different from Michael Vick. That's why I do it. That's why I use that analogy, because it jars people. When you say, you know, do you think what Michael Vick did was wrong? Yes, I do. Do you think bullfighting is wrong? Absolutely, it's horrible. Really? You think it's horrible, right? Because you're imposing suffering and death on those poor bulls, and it's just for reasons of pleasure. Yes. How are you any different? People just jump out of their seats when you do that. And that's exactly why I do it, because it jars them. But they don't see it that way. And the reason why it jars them is because they come back and they say, well, wait a minute, it's different when I'm eating them because I'm getting nutrition from them. And I say, okay, fine, you're getting nutrition from them, and people who watch bullfighting, get, you know, they get something out of that. Well, but that's different. Well, how's it different? Well, getting nutrition is, you know, you need nutrition. Well, you don't need that nutrition. But, you know, but again, animal advocates need to see that, the reason why most people think that bullfighting is bad or that what Michael Vick did was wrong is because they already reject the imposition of suffering and death in situations in which they don't, which they perceive the lack of necessity. The problem is, is that they don't have that same perception of non-necessity when they're talking about eating animals. And we need to be better educators about that. We need to be educating people better 
about the nutritional aspects of it. And it's not because we've got to focus on the health thing. Because I don't want to hear this from these the animal people say, ah, you're talking about health again. No, I'm talking about the fact that people, to the extent that people believe that harming animals is necessary for them to survive, they don't see it as a moral issue. They see it as an issue of this is what nature has 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 created. This is the situation nature's created. I can't fight that. Morality is not a matter of fighting natural arrangements. And what we need to educate people about better is it's not, quote, natural, end quote, at all. Quite the contrary. Yeah. And so, and so, um, and we've got to be better. We've got to be more conscientious about recognizing that people are anxious and that what we need to do is to learn techniques to dissipate their anxiety. That's extremely important. That's extremely important. We don't do a very good job doing that. I mean, the number of times I see animal people say to people, well, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean you think it's difficult? Do you, I mean, that's just because you want to, you want to continue to torture animals. Well, you know, um, you, you want to be a corpse muncher. What, I mean, th- that's not going to get anybody any place. You've got to deal with the fact that people are anxious about change. I mean, people are an- get anxious about all sorts of changes. I mean, <coughs> excuse me, the, the, the number one, I mean, at least it was, it was the last time I read about this. Um, I, have, I have read that, that uh, major life changes like divorces and moves can cause people to get strokes, even when they're looking forward to getting rid of a partner that they don't get along with, or even when they're excited about a move. Mm. Because change creates stress. The the very fact of change creates stress. And yet change is constant. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. Change is constant. But we don't perceive its constancy. You know, change is constant, Bob. You're exactly right. But we don't perceive that change. A lot of it. A lot of it just goes right past us. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the change that we focus on causes stress. And we've just got to be better about recognizing that stress and figuring out strategies for people that focus them on the fact that veganism is a moral imperative and get them to instantiate that in their lives that's it that's you know that's that's something that we need to do a better job on that i don't think we do a very good job on you know i mean i'm all for saying look i'm as i'm as as hardcore on this issue as anybody out there it's a moral imperative if you're not vegan you're actively engaging your 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 you're participating directly in animal exploitation, and what you're doing is wrong. Period. End of story. That said, that said, telling somebody you know who says, "Look, I I think it is a moral imperative. I agree with you. I think it is wrong, but I'm freaked out about changing." Saying to that person, "Well, you're just a moral eunuch. You should just go and shoot yourself because you're you know you're morally worthless." That's not going to get anybody anywhere. We need to be better about we need to be better about educating people. We really do. We need to be much better about educating people, much more sophisticated, much more knowledge, much much more cognizant. And we've also got to be aware of the fact that we've got a huge animal movement. Huge. 
huge animal movement that tells everybody going vegan is very difficult. Not only is it not necessary, it's hard. And so, you know, I mean, you got the animal people saying this is difficult. We've got to, you know, and we've got to keep this in mind as to what's going on in the background against which this advocacy is occurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. So, uh, no cage-free mm-hmm. eggs. No cage-free eggs. No cage- exactly, exactly. We've got to keep them away from the idea of cage-free eggs, meatless Monday, reducitarianism, and all that stuff, because all of that stuff, is explicitly premised on a rejection of veganism as a moral imperative. What we need to do is to figure out how to reinforce that veganism is the moral imperative and help them strategize in situations of anxiety, with the first line of defense being to dissipate the anxiety by showing people how easy things are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm as lazy as anyone, and I've been vegan 33 years. What can I? Do? <laughs> you can do oh, you, you can do it with one big pot and a cutting board and a knife, and uh, live happily ever after. You know, it's funny. I uh, at, at the supermarket, I, I saw some of these magazines there. There, there are these like one pot co- cooking recipes, like full magazines of one pot cooking, and it's it's. Over over the years, I've, I've you know I didn't realize I had a book. You know, I could have I had a magazine because uh, yeah, I've done a I've done a lot of that. And you know, when I've lived in situations where the household isn't vegan, I tend to uh, just try to do things in my own little corner with a with a big pot and a cutting board and knife. So, indeed, you can do a lot with a cutting board and a knife yeah. and one big pot. Yep. It seems to work. So, okay. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Daisy's giving me that look. So, uh, I guess we'll, we'll hit the streets and, uh, continue our discussion next week. Don't get in trouble. Stay, 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 stay out of trouble on the streets over there. And I'll, uh, I'll talk with you next week. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for being with us today. Very interesting discussion with professor Gary Francione back next week. And, uh, Thank you for listening. I guess I have to go back to my uh, converting uh, converting music to MP3 because I want to put uh, Radio Bobby online and uh, give you a radio station that uh, will, will change your life. Uh, and actually, if you if you'd like to uh, support our efforts and put some money in the jukebox in advance, uh, you can make a tax deductible donation to uh, you know at goveganradio.com. And as I said, I just converted, what, about 800 songs to MP3. So there'll be a lot of music, a lot of music that you haven't heard, a lot of music that you've heard, a lot of artists that you haven't heard, a lot of artists whom you have heard. Uh, I think that you know, for a lot of people, uh, this will be um, the, their their favorite radio station ever in their lives. And maybe maybe that's... That'll be you too. Maybe you'll you'll find this to be your favorite music radio station ever. Um, and so we're just trying to make the world a, a happier place. And uh, I would say, you know, even if the music, you know, totally sucked, which it won't. Like I'm listening over these 800 songs, there's just so much, so much great music there. But also, 
Whenever there are breaks for commercials, uh, they won't be for meat, dairy, fish, eggs, wool, leather, silk, honey, feathers. You know, so I figure even even now, if you find a radio station you really like um, that actually plays two songs in a row that you really like, that's possible. Uh, then on come the commercials for the for the wings and the burgers and you know all of that, which kind of ruins the uh, ruins the positive music experience. So we want to raise the positive vibration with Radio Bobby. So maybe we'll we're, our target is to get it on uh, line. You know, hopefully, I'm saying March fourth. Uh, stay tuned. We're, we're we're you know that's the target, give or take. Um, and then we'll, we'll see what you think. So anyway, please do support us. We'll keep uh, go vegan radio happening on a weekly basis as we have now for 16 years. And now it's, uh, get ready for the music. Okay. Thanks for listening. And again, our website is goveganradio.com.